Hello, bonsoir, and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. I'm Nathan Staples, and joining me this evening are Eric Devin and Adam White. We start this evening briefly by sending our condolences to the breaking news that our crosswalk here in the UK, um, Leicester City Chairman Fitchai Shravada Prabha has lost his life in the uh, helicopter accident that happened near the ground yesterday. We all send our wishes to his family and the other five that sadly lost their lives in the crash. To their family, their friends and all the people at Leicester City Football Club, we wish you the best in this sad time. Let's move on to the news of this weekend and starting with Neem, who made it three home draws in a row as they came from behind to draw 1-1 against Saint-Étienne on Friday night. Lever were in front within a minute through Remy Cabea, but Rashid Alouis, who salvaged a point, well, goal near the end, salvaged a point for the hosts. On Saturday, Lyon eventually overcame 10-man Angers with a 2-1 win. Ishmael Traore saw red for the hosts before Hasim Awaz and Memphis Depay sealed the three points with Christian Lopez grabbing the consolation prize for the hosts. In the multiplex, Thierry Henry's Monaco picked up their first point under his stewardship as Camille Glick earned them uh, the 2-2 draw against Dijon as Lille hold on to second place after Rafael Leao scored in their 1-0 victory over Caen. Montpellier kept another clean sheet as they smashed three past declining Toulouse. Not made it two wins on the bounce with a 2-1 result at Amiens, while Gangomp remained rooted to the bottom after a one-all draw against Strasbourg. On Sunday, Rasp pulled off the surprising result of the weekend as they ran out 2-0 winners away to Rennes. Remy Udan's double means that Ligue lowest scorers are now in ninth position. Nice got back to winning ways as they held out for a 1-0 win over Bordeaux, with the hosts now losing four of their last five games in all competitions. In the final game of the weekend, Le Classique was just as controversial as usual, as Paris Saint-Germain eventually ran out 2-0 winners. Kylian Mbappe got the opener in the second half, having been dropped for issues of a late meeting earlier this week. But a Late penalty call for and a disallowed goal for, for Marseille will have their fans ruining the result with Draxler scoring with the final kick of the game. And that's all for now. But to keep up to date with all the news in the world of French football, head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on Twitter at GFFN. We start this evening with that game that's just finished in Le Classique and it was... Uh, not as quite as exciting as some of the affairs have been in the last couple of years, Eric, but nonetheless enthralling in terms of keeping you engaged in what exactly was going to happen minute by minute. But a weird one for Marseille. They were they were strong for the first half. There was strange selection decisions, not just by Paris Saint-Germain because of the late attendance of meetings by Rabiot and Mbappe, and we'll discuss that a little bit later. But also um, Marseille deciding to play Tovan up front for, for a section of the game. They ended up with two strikers on there as well. What did you think to the game overall? Do you think this this, especially in that first half, will feel a little bit like a missed opportunity for Marseille? I... Yeah, I think so. I think that if you, if one looks at the lineup that PSG set out with, it's Tuchel going back to his three-man defense. And, and I, th- I think they did well. I and mean, Marquinhos in particular 
you know, that dive against Strootman aside, I think had a really strong match. Uh, and Soki, I think, looks very comfortable as a left-sided center back. I think that's, that's you know, a position into which he has a lot of potential to grow, uh, particularly as a young player. Uh, I think that as Thiago Silva, you know, potentially ages out of the squad, I think that having a, a competent deputy uh, in that position is going to allow Tuchel to continue to work with this idea of a three-man defense that he seems fairly wedded to at this point in his tenure. Um, I think we saw, you know, a composed and impressive display from uh, Draxler as well, not only necessarily the goal. Uh, Angel Di Maria looks, you know, again, to be the sort of player that I think I think he's at or approaching his best this season and has really picked up his play uh, since the departure of Unai Emery. So, but this, I, I think still the sense is we look at this PSG side and I, I, I find it hard to be convinced that, that they weren't there for the taking. Uh, it really took, you know, I mean, Draxler's goal, I, I think one would argue is inconsequential, but it really took a moment of brilliance from Mbappe to, for PSG to really get at, get at this Marseille side. And I think that, I think that, yeah, there absolutely will be some regrets on Marseille's side. I think that the decision to play certain players, you know, I, I think we saw, for example, Paya played on the right last weekend against Nice, did decently well. I think that forcing the issue with Tovin, bringing him into that side, uh, asking him to play without a focal point. I mean, obviously we know Tovin is at his best when he's on the ball and playing well and able to cut inside, but he generally profits from space created by a striker, whether that's the physical presence of Mitterglou or the, the pace of Germain. He's always worked at his best as, an, as a winger in a 4-3-1, not necessarily a striker, whether you would say that he or Paye was a striker at, at certain points in the match, I think it's harder to say. But I, I, I think that... <clears throat> I mean, obviously, Rami had a poor match as well, but I think that we really have to lay this one at the feet of Rudy Garcia for some of the questionable decisions he made in setting out, P uh, sorry, setting out Marseille's stall uh, from the off. It was an interesting game, really, Adam, and it took Mbappe's introduction to, to sort of spark it into life, in some senses at least, anyway. We what do you think to this this moment for Tuchel, at least, anyway? he, Like we've mentioned briefly already, he dropped him and, and Rabiot for this game, given that they were late for a meeting earlier this week, given that they weren't necessarily the best against Napoli in a game that they were really lucky to get a point out of in the end. Um, was this a real statement of intent from the German before the game to, to finally sort of stamp his authority on, onto this side? Um. I think it's definitely the, sort of the latest attempt to to stamp his authority on the team. I, I think he's actually done a reasonably good job of of acting like the boss, if you like. I, I get the impression that, well, I, and and from from reading sort of you know testimony of players and, and various other things that he's also he's of course a very sort of more likable, more relatable coach than you know Emery was, um, which immediately gives sort of lends to his his sort of power base, if you like. That if the players like you, they're they're far more likely to to follow your your instructions and to pay you respect, which with Unai Emery, given that he was sort of didn't really bother to build much of a relationship with with individual players and wasn't isn't the biggest man manager of all time, 
um, it kind of came back to bite him a little bit when, when players, Neymar in particular, supposedly wasn't particularly sort of warm with him and, and, and acted out against, against him in training and, and, and in various other examples as well. So um, I think, you know, that's, that's one really good point in his favour for, for that something that really does need to be done at PSG in that um, they are a little bit unruly at times. And that's been the case, not just under Emery and under Blanc as well. And this is the kind of decision that perhaps, you know, is a second second part to this point that dropping these two players for for, 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 for turning out to the, to the meetings late, which obviously when, although it, 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 on its own is quite a small offence, if you like, but it's one of those things that it speaks to a greater a greater trend. And if you let those kind of things slide, you know, uh, it's very easy for, for it to snowball and to escalate and, and to act as simply as a bad example. And not just from, from the player's point of view, but from the manager's point of view, that you're not willing to sort of crack down and you're a little bit lax in those sort of scenarios. And I don't think this is a decision that necessarily Emery or, or, um, or Blanc uh, would have taken. So I think that not only is it is an example of him sort of cracking down on on slightly un, unruly behavior and stamping his authority on the team in 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 a more sort of sort of domineering sense um but it's a decision that i don't think either of those two other managers would have made so he's sort of he's also separating himself from from both of those two who are sort of a little bit passive and submissive when it submissive when it came came to the players especially blanc and i, I know that this team has evolved over the last sort of 18 months though in terms there's a lot of ingrained issues at PSG and and the, the culture that developed, especially under Zlatan Ibrahimovic, that cliquey culture that, to be honest, is, is, a, is a large part of, the, of their lack of success in the areas they want to have success. Um, it's it, it shows that they're, they're sort of overcoming that a little bit and it's a, it's a step in that direction. So I think, yes, absolutely, it is, it is, a, is a statement of intent, but one of one of more than more than more than a couple over over recent times and took was definitely made a point of of stamping that authority and this is sort of the latest manifestation of that let's go back to marseille on this one and it, we kind of need to talk about this a little bit at least anyway eric because the i'm sure the the supporters on twitter might uh might come guns at us and it's the, the two incidents towards the end of the game and especially the quote-unquote disallowed goal where you, like you mentioned marquinhos did a fabulous display of showing that he was blocked off by strutman but uh more theatrical than anything at the same time do you think that it, it, it was a decision that the goal should, it should have been a, uh, gone to VAR and the goal should have stood? Or was this a showing of where referees still need to get used to VAR being there and not calling these plays straight away? Because essentially that whistle did seem to stop the Paris Saint-Germain players from continuing to defend. And if it did get referred to VAR, it may have been a, a relatively soft goal in the end because of a referee's uh, indecision. Well, I think that's the issue. I mean, that... You know, as we, as one can observe a match and and discern advantage or, or whether or not to play advantage, I think the same situation should have applied here. That uh, for Bastian to to blow the whistle as quickly as he did, he felt definitively that there there was a foul on Stroman, and Stroman was incensed. Rightly, he got booked for for dissent uh, as a result of this. But clearly, on the replay, that. No, Marquinhos made a meal of this, and I think that, uh, yeah, I, I think that's the that's the right approach, Nathan. I think that that a referee needs to. I think it's hard to say. It, it's it's not that a referee shouldn't be afraid to trust himself uh, in in the moment, but at the same time, 
what a referee's aim should be is to get the decision right, even if technology does come to his aid. And I think that in not allowing that chance to develop, that I think the upshot of this for me is that it just blows my mind that Bastian was so certain that that's what he saw, that there wasn't even an issue of that. I mean, we saw Garcia get sent off for you know making the square with his hands and and Stroopman uh, be booked for dissent as a result. I mean, and this is a match, and this is still one 0 at the time that could have changed the results in, in in a match that means you know more than anything to both of these teams and, and to both sets of fans. I mean, just despite the rivalries that both have, Marseille versus PSG is you know the very definition of tradition versus new money and and you know the capital versus you know a city that you know is a bit more i don't want to say rough hewn but is represents a different part of france uh and given the magnitude of of that that goes given the magnitude of this match in concert with that it's it's frustrating to see the match turn on that uh and it's and it makes sense to see why both Strootman and Garcia were as incensed as they were. Yeah, I think it's still some some teething bits of that and that kind of thing. They maybe referees maybe need to give it a, a couple of seconds, even if they are sometimes certain that letting the play go on a little bit and being able to review it should it need to uh, would be really helpful. But uh, the sort of focusing still on the fans here, Adam, there were some incidents between um, both clubs before the game and police had to step in and during the match, there was visible um, throwing of coins at Neymar. There was a couple of coins stopped. There was a, a looked like a piece of glass from a bottle rather than an actual bottle thrown on as well during the match. There's probably going to be repercussions for this as well. And it's again, a little bit unsavory for him. We see it from time and again from the Marseille fans in these big games, but it's it's not exactly something we want to be seeing in these fiercely contested derbies where the, the atmosphere should be cre- creating the tension rather than um, some uh, idiot, shall we say, throwing things from the, from the stands. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It really is unsavory. And I think... There are sort of there's sort of a, a number of issues surrounding surrounding this this sort of incident tonight. Um, obviously, with the fans outside the ground and in the ground too. I think actually, I think the the Peter Glass might actually be a small bottle. Neymar seemed to hold it between his forefinger and his thumb, like a little sort of one of those little alcohol spirit bottles, maybe. Um, but I don't, so it doesn't really matter what was thrown. The fact that things were thrown is 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 disgraceful anyway. And I think I'm disappointed in in for two points of view from the in the Marseille fans. Firstly, for this. Um, childish um, <laughs> acts of, of throwing things at players when they take corners. It's not the first time they've done this. It's been it's been pretty pretty rampant and in uh, the velodrome over the past sort of four or five years. I remember the game against um, Leon where Matthew Valrena came back and and that game had to be stopped for half an hour because he couldn't take corner because so many things were sort of raining down him. And it's very difficult to know how. That well, it's very difficult to know how the the league will try and deal with this. They've they've had ver- they've made various attempts to to to, to ban uh, Marseille fans and and have games behind, in Europe anyway, games behind closed doors and both ends of the of the of the ground have been closed. Where obviously the the ultras gather. Um, Marseille obviously pretty pretty stacked in terms of ultra groups. They've got four, five, six, you know, pretty pretty well known ones. 
um, and it's often that these issues come come from those ends of the grounds where those fans gather, and, and they've repeatedly been been punished, and it hasn't worked. Um, like I said, going back as much longer, of course, but in the recent in the recent past of that Balbrena game and and an, and a number of games, you know, in Europe they're close to a. I think if another issue like they had uh, in, during the semi and the quarterfinals last season, where there was crowd trouble, um, they're, they're close to a European ban. So it's a pretty serious thing, and it's difficult to know what the league do from here. Do they do they give them a sort of extended period of games behind closed doors? Is it three? Is it five? Does that make a difference if the the fans come to another game like this where they're, they're in a sort of a high intense situation and it's a big rivalry and there are these these big characters and they're going to act out like this? Is it going to change anything if they keep banning them and if they keep fining them? Does that really matter? It's it's very difficult to, to the fans. Is that going to change their behaviour? I don't think it will, to be honest. So it's really difficult to know where they go from this. And on a slightly sort of a slightly um, <clears throat> the lighter point, I actually felt the atmosphere today was a little bit a little bit off. I, I, the game was quite slow. PSG's sort of three five two situation didn't breed an intense attacking attacking sort of spectacle. Marseille were happy to sit off, you know, not really playing with a striker. And it, and it didn't really feed into the kind of atmosphere that we saw last season in that two-all game where Cavani scored uh, an injury time free kick to, to equalise. Um, and and I felt like the, the Marseille fans on, on both regards perhaps didn't do themselves justice, especially in the first regard, of course. In the second, they, they didn't really create the atmosphere I expected. Um, so I, it's going back to the first point, it's very difficult to know how they go about um punishing them to change the behavior and it seems like it's something that might have to start at at sort of grassroots level if you like is it, punishing them and punishing them doesn't seem to have an effect there needs to be something more um sort of centralized at the club but those that those the more responsible people in those fan groups need to be taking a little bit more a little bit more sort of command of the situation and and it needs to be recognized that doing this sort of thing one is extremely dangerous potentially to the players and and it's only negative from the club in terms of publicity and how they're perceived and the fact that their fans won't get to go to games. So I, it almost feels like it needs to be coming from the other direction because the league have, have done a have done a fair amount, not as much as UEFA. They possibly could do more, and that's probably what will come next. But I, I think there needs to be a different tax taken from somewhere, and perhaps the league as well. Perhaps they do need to be much stronger as well. So um, it's difficult to know where they where they go from here and. Even if they do go more, more, more strong, and they they go for big bands and they they have games behind closed doors, does that have an effect? I don't think it will. So I, I, I think they need to be thinking about this in an entire different way, and there has to be those fan groups pride themselves on being on being sort of it's not necessarily Marseille, but I imagine that the Marseille fan groups, ultra group sport, would say this too. But a lot of ultra groups will pride themselves on being sort of um um much more than just a group of fans that go to watch a team play, and uh, you would hope that they could use that. Um, that sort of ideology, if you like, to 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 change negative behaviour and and use it as an influence and say this is we 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 are this this group and we act in a certain way. But that it might be a little bit optimistic. But I, I have to feel that there's there's potential for that to happen. So it'd be really nice if there there could be a little bit of switch of tact from 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 that point of view. But again, I, it'd be very difficult to know how you would go about doing that. But something needs to change for sure. Yeah, I think you kind of not just the fan groups themselves. I think you need to cl- force the club's hand into to dealing with mm. this more importantly, and uh, maybe not necessarily banning ultras, but picking out those people that are doing it and getting rid of them. And the only way, if it's not 
if if these bands aren't working, if the, if the the stadium closures aren't forcing the club's hand to do it, and maybe they need to think of something incredibly sort of stringent. Because, like you say, they've they almost got banned in Europe, which would have been disastrous, really. And if it mm-hmm. comes to it, maybe maybe at this point it is a stadium closure for a couple of mm-hmm. games, but a warning that should this happen again, then they may have to look at something like a points deduction or something mm-hmm. really severe to suggest that something does need to change. They need to be more stringent on this at club level because clearly no matter what the league try and do and no matter what UEFA try and warn them of doing it doesn't change does it doesn't change the exactly it doesn't change the attitude so there needs to be something more stringent but more more positive news we'll finish with at least for Luem Eric and that's uh, Louis, uh, Rudy Garcia earlier this week uh, signed a, a new deal that takes him to 2021 uh, he does feel like the man to take this project forward and take them into potentially at least anyway if they if they can pick up the form again Champions League football next season I guess I. I mean, I, I think, yeah, Garcia is a, a strong coach. We've seen his record in Liga with Lille. He perhaps he underachieved a bit at Roma, but I, I think that his ability to set his team up—well, maybe not today—but in general, he's been able to set his team up for big matches. And I, I think that the progress the team made to the Europa League final last year uh, is a good indication of his ability as a manager. Uh, but. I think what's problematic for me about looking at Marseille is that they also extended the contract of Andoni Zubizarreta. Uh, now, we know his record of success, but I, I really struggle. I really struggle to justify how this man gets this extension given the signings he's made in the last two windows. I think Payet has generally come good. I think Rami's been okay, but then we look at Strootman, who's been okay, but given his age, given his injury history, given the price paid for him, that makes no sense to me. I think that, that I mean, okay, just throwing a name into, into the wind, what would it cost to buy Benjamin Andre from, from Ren, for example? What would it cost to buy a player of proven league on experience without an, a questionable injury record, without, you know, age, I think Strootman's 29, uh, Andre's a couple years younger. I, what would it cost to buy a player who doesn't have so many question marks about their player or a younger player? Uh, you know, we look at uh, Scary from Montpellier, for example. Is that player priced out of Marseille's range? I know he's an important player from, from Montpellier, but and then again, I, I think these these two new players signed in the summer as well. The two younger players, Radionic and uh Car are have been frankly train wrecks. That I don't I don't know what the scouting system is for Marseille that these players were considered to be of a Europa League standard, of a of a standard in Liga to challenge for the Champions League. If anything, this squad is has with a with the sale of Zambo and Guisa has less depth than last year, and we know we saw down the down the back end of last season how much depth was an issue for Marseille, how much depth hamstrung them as they sought to balance, you know, progressing to a European final with their pursuit for the Champions League, which again is stated or not this side's goal for Marseille to become a Champions League regular again to be that second team, that third team in France, and to achieve a consistent level of success. 
So I think Garcia deserves that extension, but I think that uh, Aero and, and McCourt really need to look at Zubi Zaretsa's record. I know it's still early, but I, I don't feel that this is that his acting as a sporting director uh, reveals an understanding of the type of talent it takes to succeed in Liga, and that it takes takes a level of of understanding of how young players could potentially develop. I don't think that there's a great in general. There's not a, an exceptional track record of younger players developing in Liga coming in from from other leagues. I think that the players that come into being and, and come into success in Liga as younger players are players who, you know, if they are not French themselves, have a history of coming up through French football. We look at some of the talents of recent years, you know, a Francois Camino starting out at Bastia, Ismail Assar starting out at Metz, Luca Toussaint starting out at Valenciennes, uh, you know, Nicolas Pepe starting out at Angers. They're players who have a good level of knowledge even if they've come in as, as young professionals from other sides. And I think that Zubi Zaretsa is really getting that wrong, and it's really limiting what Marseille can potentially do given, given the issues at play and given that there is really a void, especially this season. It's so, it's so stark of a contrast that Marseille should have, given their means they have, should be able to step into that void with ease. But the transfer dealings that they've made this summer – are really holding them back and really limiting them from pulling off their potential with a team that, again, isn't the youngest in key positions. Stefan Donda, Dimitri Payet, Luis Gustavo. How many more seasons are there with players of this ilk that can allow Marseille to continue to legitimately progress, and that means get better, to improve, that it's exceptionally frustrating to see Zubi Zerota getting things wrong so badly. And then you start to think of uh, the big whiff on Mario Balotelli this summer that could have been a kind of signing if he was fully fit. And you look at players like Issa Diop that has gone to West Ham for not the biggest amount of money. He's probably not on the, the hugest amount of wages that Marseille could have potentially matched, that he could have been a player that would have really succeeded because people in the Premier League are seeing how good he is now, really. Yeah, there's the, still question marks, but at least maybe Garcia is the man to guide whatever squad they have in the in the right direction. At least they're not going backwards with with his stewardship. At least anyway, but we'll see how Zubizarreta does with his new deal as well. Uh, on to other matters in league, uh, and we're going to talk about Ren now, who were very disappointing today, really, in their 2-0 defeat to Raz, who scored uh, only five goals before today's game, and now they're on seven because they managed a 2-0 victory against the Ren side that keep blowing hot and cold. It seems like this their story, not just for this year, not just for last year, Adam, but for the last five, six, seven years, really. What's going wrong this time for them? Is it a case of uh, the history constantly repeating itself, or is it the sense that no matter what they're trying to do manager-wise or player-wise, there's just always too much turnover the club and they're, they're constantly having to start again. Yeah, I, I think there's there's definitely a point in that. It's it's a number of sort of issues that that are one a product, some are a product of this season uh, and the current situation and some are a little bit more ingrained. I think one that goes underrated is, is as I've mentioned before on the pod, is, is, is the Europa League. Um, League and sides um, outside the, the very top teams 
have struggled with with European competition, especially those that have squads that are young and not especially used to it, um, and struggle to play those two games a week and are, are inexperienced at managing the recovery and the fatigue that 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 comes from from playing that that many games and having to travel that much and playing against teams in the rest of the league in a very competitive league outside PSG that that haven't had those issues and and how they overcome those and not only is it difficult um sort of an, on an individual basis to deal with that recovery issue and 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 fatigue that builds but it's very difficult to build a team that that can do that Europa League thing and compete in the Europa League but also compete against sides that are a very similar quality to it and and continue the success they had in the previous season and Bordeaux are, are a huge example of that they continually suffer through that um and we, we've seen it with with other teams too Sanetien were another one that, that took a long time to sort of adapt um and for Rennes I I really feel that they're they're a victim of their own success last season um and, and struggling with that Europa League commitment in the early part of the season um, although the results after those Europa League games have been pretty mixed, obviously they played they played at home to Dynamo Kiev in the week and they, they'd lose here, a terrible result. But after the trip to Astana, which is a, a famously long trip, they they the win at Monaco, which perhaps says a bit more about Monaco than, than it does about Rennes. After the 2-1 defeat against Javanek, they lost at home to PSG, no real surprise there. Um, so it, it's I think it's just the intensity that they're struggling with. Um, but then the longer term issues, that kind of, they kind of clash because... Given that the league is so competitive, Ren are a, a relatively big club, club when it comes to sort of the spectrum of, of league and and in terms of the size of club and the history, they they probably should be challenging for the top six eight most seasons. But where what's the eventual aim here? Are they are they aiming to become uh, sort of a Sanetian like team under Christophe Gautier when they would routinely challenge for for a, a top four place, top five place, and and then play the Europa League every season and maintain that, which is probably exactly their aim. And, and if so, is that something that they're expecting to happen now? Are they expecting to happen in the next two or three years? And what's what's the trajectory of the club? And I still think that despite the up and down uh, issues this season, that you're right, they have been blowing hot and cold, some really good results and some really terrible ones like today. Anyone that can see two goals to Rons is, is, you know, not had a great day at the office. Um, um, it, it, it's, it's where they see themselves on that path, if you like. And, and I still feel that that they are on the trajectory that, perhaps is is sort of almost you know laid out in front of them by that Sanetian team did a very similar thing and that they are slowly improving I think Sabio Mucci is is, is, a, is a is a solid coach and they even though they over the sort of the over the overturn in their squad um that they have still produced some decent performances this season if you look at the table 14th looks looks pretty poor but they're only two points off eighth so I think that if they go out of the Europa League in these group stages they would have learned from that experience and they'll move on to the next half of the season. They're still one of the better teams in the league, and you'd still expect them to challenge for a top six place. So although they're blowing hot and cold, and although they're having issues with this Europa League run, in my opinion, that they're still on the right course. It's just having faith in in, in the coach, if, if they do believe he's the right man, which they, they probably do, and, and in this squad, which is a good squad. So I think they're on the right path. It's just going to be difficult in the into the intermediate period before they reach the point where they are experienced enough to that challenge on both these competitions over a certain period of time and it's not easy but I, I honestly think that if they keep going like this and they keep making um, intelligent decisions in terms of the staff and in terms of the, the scouting they will get there eventually it's just very very difficult to get there given how competitive everything is
Yeah, it's, it's the league sort of helps them at the moment, really, in the fact that no one can yeah. seem to to put in a run in that middle table section. Really, I mean, there's a lot of teams that have been pretty bad or are returning from pretty bad runs of form. That's uh, really helped them out in a sense. But that it was an awful result today. They were really poor. They they didn't really muster anything against the around side. They should realistically are not being horrible to, to a round side that have been pretty disappointing in most games, but they, they didn't really create anything of, of great note. And, and rounds had only really the, the, the two opportunities they had were pretty simple as well. It's, it's a factor of everything. It, it seems to, we say it sort of, it seems to come in cycles for, for Ren, but the worry always, Eric, is, whether they do hit the kill switch again, really. And Lamushi's shown at times that he's a, he's a good coach and that he's got a good set of players again as well. That there's a lot of talent in the in the team. But at the same time, they, they always seem a little bit, at the moment at least anyway, trigger happy and ready to press the reset button when things are going wrong. Are you slightly worried that should their, their current run sort of continue of, of, of poor form, especially against these games where they should be winning if they're looking for Europa League football again next season, that they may be um, a little bit eager to try and go for that uh, kill switch? I think so. I, I think two things. I think that on form, Ren have the potential to have the best, yeah, the best front six, not the best, but the best, one of the best front sixes in the league. I mean, if you look at a midfield of, of Grenier and Andre, uh, you know, Sar, Ben Arfa, Borijo, Leis Leakey. There's so much talent. There's so much potential in attacking areas for Ren. But there seems to be a lack of freedom, a lack of drive, a lack of dynamism under Lamushi. And I I feel like, as we mentioned earlier, I don't I think he's being given too much credit. I think there's no excuse looking at that squad on paper. I mean, you also have players off the bench like uh, Del Castillo, not off the bench he's played today, but uh, as, as an option of Del Castillo, of, of Sibacheo, again, who's injured, but I think has a lot of potential, Rafik Guitan, the, the youngster they signed from Leav. There's not, there's not an excuse for this side to be doing as poorly as they are. I think that it's a well-constructed side. I think, you know, left back, I wouldn't be playing Rami Bensabaini. I would have looked for an orthodox left back over the summer. But you've got options. You've got depth in every single other position. The quality options, proven league on players. So how this team is in 14th, given that they're a well-constructed squad, what else can one think but to lay that at the feet of the manager? I think the Europa League, Ren have three points. They're two points behind the leaders, Astana and Dinamo, who are tied on five. The Europa League is totally still a possibility. I, I, they could progress. But given the inconsistencies that we've seen from, I mean, Lille and, and Montpellier have been consistent, I would say. But I would say other than those two, and clearly Paris Saint-Germain, we haven't seen any sort of consistency from any other side in Liga. So really to make a, t make a run at that top three, push for the Champions League, to push for, not to push for, to be in the Europa League places, to push for the Champions League, should be the mandate. This is a well-constructed squad, but 
for whatever reason, Lamushi fails to get the sense of continuity, sense of attacking now side of this side, which I think is nigh on unforgivable given the talent this team has. I mean, you're looking at Benjamin Andre, who, you know, he's not an international quality player, but he's just below that. He's an exceptional midfielder. Clement Grenier, I think we saw in the first half of this of this year, uh, his loan loan spell, or sorry, his his spell at Gangomp, uh, not a loan spell. His spell at Gangomp showed he still has that level of creativity. Uh, Hatsen Ben Arfa again, you know, is perhaps being a little bit overused since his arrival, but clearly Saar Borijo. There's so much depth. There's so much talent to this side that I think the question really has to be asked of the club's hierarchy and sticking with Lamushi despite his underwhelming uh, results. When we talk about pressing the reset button, I think where the reset button might need to be pressed, given the club's outlay, is in the managerial department. I, I, I don't think that Lamushi's CV, prior to his appointment of Ren, warranted his being given that job. I think that there are so many stronger options out there. And there's, there were so many stronger options out there when Ren were, were making that choice that, you know, Olivier Letang and the rest of the club's hierarchy really have to look look themselves in the mirror and think, did we make the right decision? Given the I mean, incredible outlay, I mean, Ren's net spend, I mean, I, I, I might be wrong on this, but I believe their net spend this summer was the second highest in the league. After Paris Saint-Germain, well, not after Paris Saint-Germain, because they sold players, but it, it was a considerable outlay of money. And I know they're under the ages of Puma and, and that sort of financial level, but this manager's not getting this right given the talent he has. We've seen all of these players that he has at his disposal succeed. They see at a very high level. So I think Ren need to look very carefully at what they really want this project to be. Because Leon are going to be there. Marseille are going to be there after Paris Saint-Germain. But really... There's not, neither one of them has shown a level of cohesion, a level of consistency, especially domestically, that makes me think that Ren can't push for the Champions League given the talent they have. And I, that's got to be on Lamushi. Strong words. And it's just, I can't, every single time this seems to happen, they, they, they do this and then they will appoint someone else that's not quite the right man and they'll start well and they'll struggle and they'll, do well in the big games and then then struggle in the smaller games and they may just make Europe or just miss out and it all starts all over again. I'm sure. Um, I feel like um, Paul Richard feel like he's in in deja vu consistently. So um, hopefully they can try and find the right mix. But yeah, it's it's a bit worrying really, and it bleeds perfectly onto our next topic. This is. The Europa League, obviously, we didn't have a preview show this week, so we missed out on a chat about this. And I, I thought it was important to come back to because uh, every team lost, which is <laughs> important on its own, at least anyway, with uh, um, uh, Bordeaux to start off with, with the only team we've not spoken about so far, losing the, against uh, Zenit. Um, Adam, they were, if anything, they, they got themselves ahead in the game, at least anyway, at a point, but um, it was expected to lose. But looking at all the teams, really, I mean, Ren weren't excellent against Dinamo Kiev at home with a game that they really needed to win. Marseille as well. Um, 
didn't really put an enormous amount of a fight against uh, a Lazio and with Eintracht Frankfurt pulling away, it looks like they may be heading out as well. Uh, it could be really sad news that Liga might only really end up with potentially one club in the Europa League and that might end up being Monaco out of the three, the, yeah. the, the ones at the moment, really. It's, it's not going as planned when we were all hoping that three teams in the Europa League and in group stages that looked okay that we thought all three might go through, but now we might be getting none at all. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think I think first of all, just dealing with that that the teams that might go through, I I think I think Bordeaux have done, you know, three games, three defeats. I think they're out. Um I think Marseille aren't aren't too far off that. One point from three games, five points behind what Lazio is six and Eintracht Frankfurt nine. I find I think that's gonna be pretty difficult to go through. Got to go to Eintracht Frankfurt. Um uh, got to go to Lazio. Uh, those are difficult games for them. I think they're out too. Um, nice have a slightly better chance, perhaps, um, but it was it's still going to be not the easiest job. I actually think that we're going to end up with two Europa League teams, and I think that'll be PSG and Monaco. I really think PSG <laughs> are going to finish third in their group, and and they'll slip into the Europa League. And Monaco, you'd imagine they'll beat Bruges. Oh, we hope they will. Bruges are a decent team, uh, and they'll they'll finish third in their group. Um, I was sort of hoping for a Le Classique semi-final between PSG and Marseille. That would have been great, but I think we're going to be robbed of that, unfortunately. Um, and there's a whole other point here about the fact that I think actually PSG being in Europe League would actually be good for them, but that's a whole a whole other a whole other point. For Bordeaux, you you mentioned there, I actually think that the game against against uh, Zanet was their best performance in the Europa League so far this season, and they've played quite a few games in the Europa League this season um, so far. Maybe the game against Genk at home was, was decent as well. Um, but I think it's... they. The way last season panned out in that league, and as we discussed already, was a very, very competitive division behind PSG and often with PSG. But uh, for the purpose of this conversation, behind PSG, and um, and they they snuck into that Europa League spot at the end of of, of the season almost because the music stopped and they were there. Um, after sort of uh, Poyet came in and he was sort of the new manager bounce, and there was a lot of momentum behind the club. There was sort of feeling the bad feeling that had built up for a while, and that was released. And they sort of they snuck in right at the end. And you could argue that given how tight it was between those teams that chased Europa League spots, you know, teams that didn't get in that were, were nearly there, sort of like Nice, Saint Etienne, even Montpellier for a bit. You know, you know, they they weren't really any better than any of those teams. In fact, given the way that Gasset improved Saint Etienne. They, they, you know, they, they probably really didn't want the sixth best team in the league, so they overperformed, and and I think now they're probably again struggling with, with the fact that they, they perhaps don't have, the squad to deal with both competitions, which is a, a familiar story for them, and that it's it's simply just a step too far, and and perhaps it might have even been better for them to to consolidate finish seventh last season obviously you're never going to go for that you're obviously going to go for the best place you can finish which is absolutely absolutely what they should be doing and it, it was a great achievement getting there but in hindsight perhaps there's uh, there's a there's a there's a, a, a wider point there is that who really benefits from the Europa League and which is a, which is a it's sort of like as a certain type of club like Marseille really benefit from last season but do Bordeaux is in this stage of their development do they benefit from it and I would argue perhaps not I think Ren though perhaps like I said previously they're perhaps not a team that really benefits from from that right now, but it maybe it's just a necessary step if you're going to continue and improve and 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 it, have it be worthwhile later on, um, to just to just do that experience and, and getting used to different types of teams and different that traveling and different competitions. So for Bordeaux, I, I just think this this was almost inevitable in that they just they just didn't have the team to deal with both these competitions and and in in what is a, is a tough group overall. Um, it was always going to be an uphill battle, but it, in isolation, the performance against Zenit was decent. I thought it was it was good, and and they didn't. For me, deserve to lose. They're rather unfortunate. Jules Kunde, who's been brilliant for the most part since since he was put into the side by Gus Poyet, two really bad errors, especially for the second goal. 
um, and really lost in the game. And I think that's almost the difference. They're, they're a team that have growing pains and are developing, but um, aren't ready to, to, to be a knockout stage Europa League team and make an impact on that competition just yet. So it's unfortunate, but I think, yes, they're, they're, um, they're sort of on the way out, unfortunately. And very quick word on, on Marseille. Um, who we obviously didn't have, as you said, didn't have a Thursday show, but Marseille were terrible against Lazio. It was, it was, it was, it was really disappointing. And um, perhaps they had one eye on the Classic, although Garcia, perhaps, uh, well, definitely did say in his press conference that he definitely didn't have an eye on the on the Classic, but maybe that was the case. But again, I, it's very difficult to put your finger on. It'd be interesting what you guys think about about Marseille's Europa League performances, but um, it's very difficult to put the, the finger on what exactly has gone wrong this season. I mean, they treated the, the group stages very similarly last season, but perhaps the results fell their way a little bit more often. They had a slightly simpler group with Victoria Gimmeration and, and Salzburg, who obviously did very well in the competition too, but, you know, perhaps not as strong as Lazio or even Frankfurt. Um, and and it's it's just fallen the wrong way for them. But um, I think, unfortunately, both those teams are, are going to have to find another way back into European competition at the end of, at the end of this season. And that's the the interesting thing, really, Eric. I think that makes a good point that, that a lot of these teams sort of almost fall into them, really. But looking at the clubs that may be around those places next season, the current standings, at least, I'm looking at Saint-Étienne, you'd feel that unless they mount a, continue to mount a great challenge, that Leo maybe sort of fall into that category, maybe into the second half of the season. The problem for these teams is as we've mentioned before, like you did with, with Marseille, that depth's certainly an issue, but the teams, given that Rennes results and, and Bordeaux's against some smaller teams as well, do they take it seriously enough? I mean, it's hard to say. I, I, I think that perhaps we are, you know, as clubs have done, I think we look at, you know, a team like Astana or a team like Dinamo, teams from Eastern Europe, I think, their quality has consistently been under under recognized. I think within Europe, I think we within Western Europe, I think we look at the success of Shakhtar Donetsk are probably the the prime example. But we've seen other examples in recent years as well. Seska Moscow progressing to the knockout stage of the Champions League, beating Leon last year, for example, uh, as well. And I, I think that it's not a matter, perhaps, of taking things seriously, but I think it's a matter of underestimating the scouting networks that these clubs have and underestimating the talent of the players on display. I mean, you know, this raft, continued raft of Brazilian players that continue to, to, to do well uh, at these Eastern European clubs and, and the fact that the, the scouting, their scouting networks are as well-developed as they are, that, you know, obviously France, you know, are no familiar, are not unfamiliar with, how level level of scouting both in Africa and domestically can produce, you know, a very impressive level of young talent. But I think that it's not about it's it's more down to these French sides not not taking uh, the appropriate level of gravitas with uh, to their approach to how they play against these sides. Um, I think in particular the most recent results against Zenit and, and um, against Dinamo Kiev. These are teams with a good history of European success and with quite a bit of money behind them, more even than I think on their best day than their French sides would have. And to not approach this with a level of, and Lazio as well, you know, very unlucky not to qualify for the Champions League in Serie A last season. I don't think it's 
it's a matter of the French side is not taking things seriously per se, but I think it's just a matter of not being cognizant as they ought to be of what the level of talent is of their opponents. Yeah, the hope is that maybe some teams can start building squads that that might ha- have a stronger representation, and 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 maybe seriously is not the the the, the right way of saying it, but um, treating it responsibly, treating every team that they're going to be facing with, with that kind of respect, and I think we would see better results. But they've been pretty awful in on Thursday nights; it's not been fun watching uh, recently. But let's move on to our league and snapshots. Now, I, I'm going to start things with a a slightly sadder one, really, to start off with. And that's um, Neem midfielder Mustafa Diallo um, suffered an injury uh, at the end of September against Montpellier, an ankle injury. And there is belief that maybe the Senegalese uh, midfielder may have to retire at the age of 32. He's not trained since the incident. And uh, the sporting director, Laurent Bossier, uh, said it's 80% sure it's over for him. It's a really big blow for us because he's the only player we have with a lot of league uh, experience. He's had 151 top division matches, most of them with Gangomp having signed with Nîmes this summer. I always quite liked him. He, he did really well last season, really, for Gangomp. I'm surprised they allowed him to, to sort of leave, especially with the experience he's got. But he, he did do reasonably well since he's been in at Nîmes. But... Um, be a terrible loss for, for anyone really to lose their career even at 32 is, is not really an age but for an ankle injury as well just seems such a strange one to be forced into retirement for but let's hope that um he can recover if he can at least there's uh, like the sporting director said that there's a 20 percent chance there let's hope he can make a full recovery and come back to to league and football because he can be a, a good player in his day and it's never nice to see anyone bow out without um, it being on their terms at least anyway so all our best wishes to diallo and uh, hope he can recover from uh, what seems like a really serious uh, ankle injury um let's get some other league and snapshots and i'll start with yourself adam what's your league and snapshot this week um, mine is um, mine's a uh, Saman Godos. Um, I, I, we talked a lot about Amion on 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 sort of both podcasts this season and how how their sort of their sort of disparate squad is sort of developing and um, that Christoph Polizia is sort of evolving this team into something a little bit more expansive perhaps. Um, and you know Godos has come in from from Ostersunds where um, uh, obviously they were, they were very good in in Sweden under uh, the English manager whose name now escapes me who's now at Swansea. Um, yeah, thank you, Graham Potter. And um, uh, I think he's been a, a really underrated signing. And um, I, I sort of wanted to focus in on one one sort of aspect of his game in particular, his deliveries. I, I would sort of wager that he's possibly the best crosser of the ball from set pieces in the league on form, which which is saying quite a lot given this, the, the got Dimitri Pyatt in this league, who's fantastic. But um, if you get the chance to check out Amion and, and Samon Godos, um, some, of his, some of his crosses and some of his free kicks are superb it's it's great to watch it's the thing where um i i sort of use this analogy or this comparison a lot that um growing up watching david beckham and that that unbelievable amount of whip and pace and the flatness of his of his deliveries um is, is pretty much un un sort of unreproducible if you like um but there's there's a little bit of uh, i think about benjamin borrego sometimes as well the way he sort of whips crosses in and they're sort of fast and flat and accurate um, that Godos has a little bit about the, about him too, and I think he could prove to be like a, to be a, a really useful sign, not just for Amion, but perhaps somebody else a little bit further up the league if if Amion struggled this season and and he's a sort of standout player. Even though they they got they got sort of torn apart by PSG, I've really felt that he's had quite a big effect on the game, and and um, I think 
over the past sort of three weeks in particular, he's been really standout. So um, I, I'm as a fan of, uh, of, of the of the cross of the whipped cross. I think Sam and Goddess is perhaps the best exponent of that in Liga at the moment. So check him out if you get the chance. Eric, what's your Liga snapshot? Yeah, I'm on PA. I mean, uh, nine goals scored, one conceded in their last four, uh, three wins and a draw over that stretch. Uh, they continue to be breathing down the neck of, of Lille uh, in that race for the top three. There's clearly a lot more to come from them. They have, uh, before the end of the calendar year, they still have to play Montpellier, Monaco, Lille, uh, PSG, and Lyon. So obviously they benefited from a the schedule, uh, the fixture list benefiting them. But at the same time, I think that there's been a real evolution with this side. I think in Florent Mole, we have a player who's in form who, and whose creativity continue to drive this side. I think the replacement of Paul Lan with uh, Damien Letayek has given uh, that creative player a lot more freedom, has given Elias, Elias Giri a lot more freedom to get forward as well. And you've got the, the, the very physical but also dynamic striking duo of, of Andy Delore and Gaetan Labor. I mean, uh, both of these players have been exceptional, perhaps not exceptional, but have been very successful above average league on strikers at different points in their career. Laborde in 16-17, I think, was scored something like 15 goals in all competitions, was really impressive. Uh, Delore has, has also done very well at, at certain points in his, his career, thinking back to his time at Caen, another side who played you know, with a certain amount of dynamism and, and that ability to press and attack from the front. And I think that there's a Karian you know, having been, having done very well to build on from the departures of Nuri Mukiele uh, and Jérôme Moussillon has really brought this team up another level. And I think, you know, Benjamin Leconte has, has, is also part of this as well, having rightfully earned that, that France call up, although he didn't feature. Uh, I, I think that Montpellier, you know, they did something similar last year. They were pushing for Europe for much of the season, but sort of fell away at the end. But it wasn't to this degree, and they didn't have the same potency and attack that we've seen from that trio of new signings, Mole, Laborde, and uh, Delors. And I, I think that there's, you know, without other competitions to distract them, it's a similar thing with Lille, um, the Montpellier can continue to have a say in who qualifies for the Champions League. Uh, and, you know, that seems sort of incredible to say, given this has always been a selling side and January could still undo them if, if someone fancies, as I mentioned, you know, Marseille signing Kevin Stropman over a player like Skiri. There's still a chance for them to be undone by January in which they, they do sell heavily. But the upshot to this is that there's a Kari with now with significant backing, which he didn't really have. I think we should be we should be cognizant of that during his time at Nantes. Has really shown he knows how to build a side and to get them playing, you know, really an ideal balance that makes the most of the talent of the players uh, at his disposal. Yeah, I, th I think if I was trying to avoid getting a Montpellier as a full option this week as we've talked about them. The last few weeks that they've been jumping hurdles, but a, a great victory again for them. And finally, we get their real test next weekend. The, the Sunday night game against Marseille will be that sort of water test. They've been on a fantastic run since that loss on the opening day of the season. This is their first big game, really, against one of the, the big sides in, in, in Liga this season. And this will be the test of seeing how good they really can be. Can they be a team that's fighting for the Europa League or might fade away? Let's have a look and see how they do against a one of the big boys, at least anyway. But that's going to be really exciting 
to see. Uh, that's all that we have for this evening. My thanks to Eric, Adam, and all of you listening at home. Uh, do join us for the preview show on Thursday that will have some Coupe de la Ligue action as that happens in midweek. And the main show will be back at the same time, same place next week. A bientôt and goodbye.